It seems there's horror down by the river, and no, this isn't the Neil Young classic. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today we're going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true river horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a scary story that you would like to share, whether it's one by the river or somewhere else, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Be sure to hit that like button if you haven't yet as it helps me out a ton, and subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true river horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Hey there Swamp Dweller, I got to say I can't believe I'm sharing my story, and it's a huge honor to do so on here. I have several encounters I'd like to share with the swamp, but for now, I will share my creepy experience of what I believe to be a haunted highway in my hometown. This occurred between Renton and Maple Valley, Washington. The road is Maple Valley Highway. It starts in Renton and continues for quite a few miles down into the Black Diamond. It is known for many fatal accidents and a scenic river that runs parallel to it. I would take that road all the time and had two occurrences. It was November 2013. I was driving home late around 10pm that night. I had just finished hanging out with a group of friends from church. The road has patches of complete darkness so I had my high beams on. I reached a part of the road with a guardrail on my passenger side. That side is all old growth in the Cedar River. I saw in front of me a sudden patch of thick dense fog that only covered the road and a few trees off to the side. I turned off my high beams driving through the fog, and that's where I saw the thing. A tall, black figure passing along in front of my vehicle. I remember specifically the cars driving toward me had flashed their lights and halted as if they saw it too. I understand fog distorts lights and shadows, but it looked like the shape of a person, with long arms and it was very slender. I couldn't make out anything else because it looked like a black shadow. As fast as it came, it was gone. I peered into my rear view mirror, and the cars were slowly driving as if to see what they saw too. As much as it startled me, I chalked it up to being a distorted shadow of a person who was running across the road. It did not make sense considering how late it was and all that was there was the river on the other side. Nothing but a field and some trees on the other. Now fast forward to February 26th, 2014 and I'm driving around the same time and a little bit further up the road in that same area. I had something very similar happen again. I was right before the old Jones Road between Renton and Maple Valley, again right next to the river. I completely forgot about last November when I was on my way home from my friend. I was driving home along Maple Valley Highway around 9.30pm passing the guardrail and a figure jumped out in front of my car running from right to left. It was tall, skinny, and black. It was passing quickly. As my eyes followed it, a bird, possibly a hawk or something like that, came flying into my windshield making it hard to see. It was just staying right in front of me. After about a few seconds it flew away. I was terrified as I was desperately trying to look around the object to make sure I didn't hit anything in the road. It finally left, and I turned my view to the left to see the person-shaped shadow, the tall, lanky thing, fading away and completely disappearing in thin air. I was so startled. I called my mom to explain what had happened, and by the time I got home, my knees were shaking so bad. 
She didn't like me driving that road, and I even went out of my way to avoid it at night from then on. My car, I had at the time, had a lot of issues, constantly breaking down, and I did not want to chance it. A few years later, I reached out to the Maple Valley community. Some people who lived out there had told me that this was a regular occurrence. One of the residents believed it stems to a local ghost story about a fisherman drowning in the river. This story is one I've wanted to write for a while now, but the words have always escaped me. For one, it's true. I know every story is true and very scary. This one, however, is as true as it gets, and as everyone knows, writing a series of incredible events while maintaining credibility is damn near impossible. I do invite and even encourage you to look it up on Google after it's finished if you're not satisfied. The second reason I found it difficult is that it's two stories in one. There is a lot of history involved, and though the details differ depending on who tells it to you, my hometown of Biddeford was first inhabited by Europeans in 1616, making it one of the first places to be visited in America, but the consensus is the load-bearing beam I will include. Thank you for letting me ramble. Now, for your story. I was born and raised in the city of Biddeford, Maine. The city itself is full of somewhat garbage people, but I wouldn't have wanted to grow up anywhere else. I had many wonderful memories, as the beach was an hour walk away, the backyard was sprawling, and the woods that led down to the river was right next to my house. It runs about 135 miles from New Hampshire and splits into the towns of Biddeford and Saco, emptying out into the ocean beyond. Most mothers, my own included, did everything in their power to make sure their children didn't go to the water until three people died at the beginning of the year. This may sound morbid, and indeed it is, but for good reason. All the children in the cul-de-sac knew bits of information, usually clashing. But I first heard the full story told by an old man named Rodney. Rodney was an old Native American man who lived down the other side of my backyard. His grandson Josh and I would often play games with each other and, and became pretty good friends over the years. Rodney was a good, spirited man, always telling us fun stories about the people of his heritage, and usually scary ones when we would be put in the tent out back and camping out for the night. It was one such night that I heard the curse of the Saco River. Back in the year 1675, Winter Harbor, now known as Biddeford, was well established by the Europeans. The local Sokokis natives generally welcomed them, and boats would come and go along the Saco River. One such boat carried three white men, who were said to be drunk as a skunk, and meaner than one too. A woman who had given birth to the chief's son was upon one of the islands carrying the child in tow. They decided to have a little fun and test out a story they once heard. It was said that the Native Americans could doggy paddle from birth, and they wanted to find out, most likely making a few bets on it. Despite the woman's screams, they ripped the baby from her arms and threw it into the water. Unsurprisingly, the child had drowned. Some say she went in after him, only to drown herself, others say differently. What eventually did happen is Chief Squandro, not to be confused with Chief Squanto, found out and placed a curse on the river. Until the day white men cleared the banks, the spirits of the river would take three lives a year. Some say that the three were killed right there, but regardless, there were no delegations made. In fact, it was said to ignite violence between the tribe and the Europeans, kicking off the War of King Philip. 
There was a little more to it than that, I'm sure, but it's been about 26 years now, so my memory is a tad bit fuzzy. The one thing I can never forget, in fact it's probably what caused my terrible lifelong nightmares, is the night he took us out fishing. Conveniently enough, Rodney took us by canoe out to Skelton Dam. It's a popular place for fishing and swimming. In late summer, the sun is warm, while being shaded by a large forest around it. And as the sun goes down, the sound of wildlife makes it an unparalleled place to relax. He had paddled us down the stream for about an hour when finally, the night came. We didn't catch a whole lot, and honestly at seven years old, I hardly knew what I was doing. But I had fun with Josh, and Rodney was telling more of his stories of the past. I don't know what time it was, possibly 10 or 11, but fog began rolling across the water. Rodney made a crack about the spirits making their way from the deep, when all the noise from the bank suddenly stopped. There were no insects, birds, or frogs to be heard, just the quiet sloshing of water on wood. I don't think we even noticed it at first, not until I could see the dead serious look on Rodney's face. He didn't say it, cause he was too scared. He said something to the effect of, we better pack it in. So we reeled in our fishing poles and he started the long trip back up the river. Being children, Josh and I didn't really panic. Rodney was experienced in the woods and though he stayed silent, he didn't much let on that something was wrong. He just kept his eyes forward and worked the oars. This went on for a while. The sounds of nature were still silent and it seemed as though every small sound echoed from one side of the river to the other. The fog was still present and was growing thicker by the minute. I don't know how Rodney didn't get lost but I assume it wasn't his first time in conditions such as this. The closer we got, the more we let go of our fear. That is, until the crying began. I couldn't tell from where, but like a gunshot out of the silence, this shrill, high-pitched sobbing rang out from the land. It was so loud, like it was right next to you, then seemed to move away only to return just as quickly. To make it worse, the sobbing would erupt into insane bursts of laughter. Even thinking about it now makes me shiver. Not a male or a female, it was something I can't possibly find words to match with. As it continued, we started to hear something, jumping through the forest, easily keeping pace with the boat. I tried to block most of it out, but that's not something that ever goes away. I believe that was about the time Josh and I began to cry ourselves. Rodney tried to comfort us, telling us to keep our heads down and cover our ears, but most of his efforts were spent rowing in a panic-driven manner. The tone of his voice was quick and stern, nothing like the tight look on his face, and I believed he was praying. The sob crying stopped after a few minutes, to our relief. However, it was short-lived. A woman's voice shot out from somewhere, distant but also close, in a blood-freezing tone. It screamed, Help me! I looked out through the fog. It wasn't a woman I saw. However, on the bank to the right I could make out a thin figure. Not many details were visible, aside from the long horns that sprouted up from the side of its head like that of a deer. The image quickly melted back into the fog and disappeared. Once again, Help me, please! came from the bank. The opposite one, however, the one closest to us. As this happened, the sound of drums came and quickly crescendo their way all around us. Like that of a dozen or more people playing drums. Rodney told us once again not to look and steered the canoe away. 
towards the center of the river. I looked over to see large green orbs of light begin to appear, along with multiple little men. I say men, but they were all much too short, and the shape wasn't quite right. It was almost like a group of monkeys were all lined up along the shore, just staring at us as that ghastly cry for help continued to follow, switching sides from time to time. I'm certain I had wet my pants by then. I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life, including at my current age now. Unfortunately, our boat trip through hell wasn't quite over yet. The fog was a constant and would swallow everything almost as quickly as it appeared. As terrifying as the things on the bank were, at least they couldn't get to us. Or so I thought. We must have been close to the boat launch by that point, but before we could get there, the sounds of splashing erupted on all sides of us. The occasional slosh of water told us there was something around our boat, and it wasn't long until the knocking began. It was soft at first, more like something was rubbing the sides of the canoe. Then it turned into scratching, but they quickly got louder as if people were pounding their fist against the sides. It was getting so bad I thought we were going to tip, and poor old Rodney was rowing like a madman. The panic on his face was clear as day. He was no longer trying to be silent and I could even see something trying to grab and pull at the oars. These sorts of short black arms that grabbed at whatever they could. We finally made it to the boat launch, Rodney practically throwing us on land. He didn't bother with our bags or fishing stuff either. I was somewhat upset the next day, but I can't blame him one bit. We ran to his truck, still hearing drums beat all around us, now coupled with sounds of loud growls. I can't tell you for sure what it was, but some sort of animal was pacing around around us. They kept their distance, thank God, but before we were fully on the road, we were in for one more surprise. The branches and leaves of the trees off to the left had began shuffling. The forest here is thick, so it was hard to see what it was, but some sort of large bird burst through the canopy and shot across the lake. I've never seen anything so monstrously huge in my life. Rodney later told me he believed it was a Thunderbird. I'm not sure, but the wingspan was anywhere from 20 to 30 feet long. Since that night, I've stayed away from that river. In fact, I moved halfway across the country. I can't really tell you a whole lot else from that night. I never got many answers myself. I can tell you, however, that I believe there is a curse on the Saco River, wholeheartedly. This is not my personal story, but one my aunt told me about. It was the early 2000s. I was a small child at the time and my aunt had set off with my other aunt for a fishing trip on the Washita River in Arkansas. On their way, they stopped at a local store for snacks and drinks. They got their business done in the store and was on their way once again. They arrived at the boat ramp around 2.30pm and set up their fishing gear. They fished for hours catching a few fish but mostly just passing the time by talking. They talked and talked till night fell. Thinking they should probably pack up and head out, they began to gather their fishing gear and packed up. Before they could reach their vehicle, a white sedan pulled up in the boat parking area and my oldest aunt could make out two figures in the vehicle. Instead of proceeding, they hid behind some rocks and watched them closely waiting for them to get out. Almost positive the people in the car hadn't seen them stay behind these rocks. Almost positive the people in the car hadn't seen them and they stayed behind those rocks, contemplating on what they should do. 
From the angle that they were at, they could tell that the car had the driver's side door blocked. They sat there a while longer, waiting on the car to pull out of the parking lot, but it never did. So, with barely any service, my oldest aunt managed to get a hold of my uncle and tell him about the mysterious white car hindering them from getting in and leaving. With no hesitation, being the big badass my uncle is, he was on the way. Several minutes had passed by, but eventually my aunt could see the headlights of my uncle pulling into the ramp parking area. About the time he stepped out, pistol on hip, is when the white car roared to life and sped out of there. In relief, my two aunts, shaken up from the experience, came out from behind the rocks. They wanted to follow the car, but with no knowledge of which direction it went, they decided it was best not to, and reported the incident to the authorities. Nothing ever became of the incident, and I've since grown up and moved from my home state. I live in North Carolina now and have had a few more weird and scary encounters I could share. I don't think about what happened all those years ago on the river too often, but I sometimes wonder what could have happened. For the longest time now, my one true passion in life has been fishing. I have a high pressure job as a stock trader in my hometown of Philadelphia and nothing seems to help me unwind from a stressful week quite like a day's worth of fishing on the river. I think it's the combination of the serene setting, the slow, steady pace of it, and the fact that I'm reconnecting with nature. When most of my life is spent in a stuffy office space, staring at a computer screen. But there's always been one dream fishing trip that I've always wanted to go on, but never really had the time to arrange, and that's bow fishing down in Louisiana. Ever since I saw a segment on it on the World Fishing Network, I just was dying to try it. I had always wanted to try out archery too, so combining that with my passion for fishing just seemed like the obvious choice. I had mentioned it once or twice to the wife, and being the great listener that she is, she ended up arranging a trip down to the bayou for myself and a few of my buddies for my 37th birthday. We flew down to New Orleans on the Friday morning which I had no idea was named after Louis Armstrong. Then, spent the day hanging around Bourbon Street drinking cocktails and soaking up the jazz. Then, after fighting off the hangovers the next day, we drove down along the Mississippi River to this little place called Bura's, where we found ourselves at NOLA Bow Fishing Charters. The guys down there were awesome, sharing all their little tricks and techniques with us to ensure we would have a lucrative trip. Then, once the sun had set, we loaded up into the boat and set off into the swamps. It really was like a dream come true for me. The landscape down there really is something to behold. But here's the thing. The shallow bottom boat we were in had these floodlights on it just below the waterline. Most fishermen will tell you that this is basically cheating, since the fish tend to be attracted to lights, especially in the nighttime. But since we were using bows and arrows, I guess it kind of evened out the odds a bit. However, having lights on your boat like that totally ruins your night vision, so as much as you can see the waters around you perfectly clear, it blinds you to the darkened areas beyond, and that makes you feel goddamn vulnerable indeed. There could have been anything out there in the darkness, just watching us, and we'd have absolutely no idea it was there. So, we're having a ball for the first hour or so, mostly just making fun of each other for missing our shot so much. But eventually, we all start getting the hang of the whole accuracy thing. We're pulling in all kinds of black drums, 
redfish, and flounder, which are delicious, but I couldn't see any of the one fish I wanted to shoot, and that was an alligator gar. I had had my heart set on getting my hands on a big 10-footer to show the guys back at the office, and I was worried the entire trip might pass up before I get the chance to shoot one. But eventually, one of my buddies is looking over the side of the boat, into the brightly lit, murky waters, when he calls out to me that he sees this big old gar hiding among some reeds just a few feet away. He knew I was after one, as was everyone, so everyone got out of the birthday boy's way, so I could get a clear shot on it. So there I was, right up on the edge of the boat with my bow and arrow in hand, trying to steady myself to get a good aim on this gar, Jesus Christ, was this thing huge. I mean, it was easily a 10-footer. The exact kind of monster that I had been dreaming of getting my hands on, and I really had to regulate my breathing to keep my hands from shaking too much. Only just as I start to get ready to aim on the thing and I'm about to fire the arrow into the water, it starts to slowly creep away further from the boat, almost like the goddamn thing knew I had my eyes on it. But I wasn't about to let it get away. And as dumb as this was, I start leaning over the edge of the boat so not to lose it. That's when I lose my balance. I start wobbling, tipping over the side of the boat before my buddies could reach out to grab me and reel me in. Bow in hand, I crash into the murky waters head first, getting absolutely soaked in the process. I can hear the guys in the boat laughing their asses off before I even resurface, and when I finally do, I got to admit I was laughing too. But as I look up from the water, they don't seem so cheerful anymore. They're all just looking behind me, staring at something with these looks of terror on their faces. I'm all like, what's the problem? Before I look behind me, seeing this pair of glassy eyes glowing in the lights of the boat, just before they disappear under the water. It was an alligator, and it was huge. I start scrambling to get back on the boat, trying and failing to scale the side of it before the thing got to me. All my buddies rushed to my side and grabbed me but the bow fishing instructor rushes to the opposite side, grabbing one of the two of my friends and imploring them to do the same. He suggested this so the whole thing wouldn't flip over and we all end up in the water with this thing. Just as they got a grip on me and started dragging me up forwards, I feel this intense pressure on my right boot. It was horrible. I just started screaming, It's got me! It's got me! Over and over, feeling my leg beginning to stretch from the guys dragging me up and the gator trying to drag me down. Then, suddenly I'm free and the guys pull me back up onto the boat, but that didn't bring any relief, as in that moment, all I could think about was now that the gator had bitten my goddamn foot off. There was no pain, but I've heard that in those adrenaline-fueled moments, you don't normally feel massive injuries. I'm scrambling around in the boat, trying to look at my leg, half expecting to see a missing foot and blood pouring out in the bottom of the boat, but to my infinite relief. But to my infinite relief, all I see is a soaking wet sock covering my still-attached foot. The relief, the pure goddamn relief I felt in that moment. I can hardly put it into words. And it didn't take me all that long to figure out that a hangover had basically saved my life. Since I was feeling so rough that morning, I had not bothered to tie my boots up that tight, giving them enough slack to allow the alligator to pull it right off my foot. It was without a doubt the single most terrifying moment of my entire life. Seeing that thing's eyes practically glowing in the floodlights of the boat put that absolute fear of God into me, and I know how lucky I am that I was able to walk away from the situation with all my limbs still attached. I could just as easily have bled out right there lying on that boat, thousands of miles away from where my wife and kids were, while my buddies looked on helplessly. 
We took a fair amount out of the swamps that night, and I suppose it was only right that the swamps took something back. I didn't manage to catch the gar I had been lusting after in the end, but that was okay by me, I guess. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true river horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it and that helps the swamp grow. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to give us a 5-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms, and it's very much appreciated. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's a story from a river or something else entirely, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium and still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you'd like to support the Swamp outside of all that, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts and hoodies. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. You can come join me over on Twitch. I stream over there multiple times a week. We play horror games and do behind-the-scenes things like recording scary stories live. You can find a link to follow me in the description as well. Be sure to join me over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to keep up with me outside of YouTube. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.